What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Legendary billionaire investor Ken Langone on where he's putting his money. I think Lilly will be the first trillion dollar drug company in history. Why? The pipeline. Plus how the Home Depot co-founder is investing, or not, in China. I don't think China wants to go to war with us. They got a billion, 300 million people to feed. They got some stress in the system now, real estate. I mean, they got enough on their plate without taking us on. And Jake Clayton joins us, the UPenn professor and former SEC chair, on the free speech debate roiling college campuses. I'll tell you who the trustees are. They're the people with a fiduciary duty. They're the people who have the responsibility to look at whether the university is delivering on its mission. And I think we all know that they're not doing a good job. Plus, the rest of today's stories that got us squawking. Apple wants to stop iPhone thieves. Zelensky in D.C. Vladimir Zelensky burned more shoe leather than a Capitol Hill lobbyist in Washington yesterday. And Netflix finally opening the curtain on top streamers. Drum roll, please. The Night Agent. What is that? Have you seen it? That is all today. It's Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. Hey, it's a Wednesday, hump day, if you've made it this far. Congratulations. Here we go. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said yesterday that she believes the U.S. is on the path to a soft landing. Speaking at a Wall Street Journal conference, she defined a soft landing as the labor market remaining strong and inflation coming down. She said it doesn't appear that the final stretch toward the Fed's 2 percent inflation target will be as painful for Americans as as, as had been previously expected. Let's tell you what's going on with Netflix, because Netflix released viewer data for every show and film on its platform for the very first time. It's the first of what the company now says will be regular reports and a concession to actors and screenwriters whose compensation now depends on greater disclosure of viewer data. For the first six months of the year, the top performing program was, drum roll please, <laughs> The Night Agent, which had over 800 million hours viewed. Now, what is nine, that? Have you seen it? I did see it, actually, but a while ago. I feel like um, it was done. Uh, it's sort of a spy thriller-ish. It's a, it's <laughs> it's great. It was fun. It's, it's a, it was it was actually very very good. Now that I'm actually seeing the beginning of it again, I'm reminded of all the things that happened. A bomb goes. Anyway, I won't say what happens. Uh, nine out of the uh, top <laughs> ten titles uh, were Netflix originals. The highest viewed movie was The Mother. That was the Netflix original action film starring Jennifer Lopez. Another movie that I also. See. I mean, Netflix originals, is that different from what we've seen in the past? Is this because the actors strike, the writers strike, because there's not a lot of other new content other places, or is that kind of the norm? I think I'm imagining two things. One is that the Netflix originals are the ones that, A, they promote yeah. because they made it themselves, and B, um, 
you know, most of the others are, are things that would have been syndicated, so people are repeating it's it for the first else. time. You've already seen it once, yeah. maybe. maybe. Maybe you haven't seen it. But yeah. I don't know. And I want to thank you for being here. You're going to help the cause, and I don't want you giving up hope. I'm really glad to be here at the White House today. Ukraine's president made the rounds in Washington yesterday, working to try and drum up support for his country's defense against the Russian invasion. Eamon Javers has the latest on how this went. And Eamon, the one thing that was pretty striking is how different this tour was from just a year ago. Yeah, huge differences, Becky. That's right. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky burned more shoe leather than a Capitol Hill lobbyist in Washington yesterday as he worked both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue looking to shore up support for a massive military aid package. Zelensky met with both the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Republican Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, and on the House side, he had a sit down with the new speaker, Mike Johnson, whose Republican conference presents the biggest obstacle to the military aid that Zelensky is seeking. Some Hill Republicans want to couple possible Ukrainian aid with additional spending for the U.S. border, which the Biden administration opposes. Ukrainian social media aides were working overtime, cutting this behind the scenes video of the Oval Office hug between Biden and Zelensky during their meeting at the White House and releasing this video on X. Well, Mr. President, welcome back. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the White House. Even before the two men conducted their joint press conference later in the day, President Biden announced $200 million in pre-approved aid for Ukraine, which he acknowledged was short of what Zelensky is asking for. Speaking in English, Zelensky argued uh, that Ukraine is succeeding in its war with Russia and will do even better with more support. We stand firm. No matter what Putin tries, he hasn't won any victories. Thanks to Ukraine's success, success in defense, other European nations are safe from the Russian aggression. Now, a White House official provided details on some of the new aid that Biden released yesterday, which includes AIM-9M missiles for air defense, ammunition for high-mobility rocket systems, and artillery, artillery rounds, among other supplies. So interesting there, guys, to hear Zelensky speaking in English, directly addressing the American audience he knows he needs so well. Back over to you. Eamon, what, uh, what are the odds? I know that it, it seems like it's not very likely anything would get passed before the end of the year. Is there an idea? Because I think there's only a few more sessions of Congress before they leave for the holidays. What, yeah. what are the odds that something gets done in, in the new session once they come back in January or the new year? Well, Becky, you're exactly right. I mean, there's just a couple of days left here before they go home for the winter break. But uh, on the other side of the break, there is a deal to be done here. Uh, it's just a question of whether the Biden administration wants to concede that it has to uh, deal uh, with the Republican majority in the House, which wants, you know, a lot of spending on border security and border security measures as part of this deal. The Biden administration doesn't like the idea of linking those two things and being forced to negotiate. But there is a deal to be done if they want to do it. We'll see, it see if it happens. Okay. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. Meantime, uh, GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley winning a key endorsement last night. New Hampshire governor and frequent Squawk Box guest to Chris Sununu speaking at a campaign event in Manchester. Look, you can feel the energy around the state. You can feel it across the country. People are getting engaged. I always told the national media, don't worry. Everything picks up after Thanksgiving. That's when the action happens. It isn't just because I'm endorsing her. It's because people are getting involved. People are coming out of the woodwork to come to the town halls, to fill the rooms, to see what's really happening out there. He said, we are all in for Nikki Haley. Sununu serving his fourth and final two-year term as governor. He was 
reelected last year by more than 15 percentage points and is popular in the state. He said last month he was looking for a candidate who could beat former President Trump and could connect with voters on a retail level. Later this morning, we're going to talk to Ken Langone on why he's also backing Nikki Haley. So uh, some big news there. We'll see how that affects New Hampshire. On the Democratic side, another frequent squat guest, uh, investor Mike Novogratz, is switching candidates. He's been a longtime supporter of President Biden, but he said he's going to fundraise for Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, the president's long shot primary opponent. Novogratz telling CNBC he thinks both Biden and Trump are too old and, quote, we need new fresh people. Uh, Novogratz will co-host a fundraiser for Phillips on Saturday in New York City. Invitees are being uh, encouraged to give uh, $3,300 to attend that fundraiser. Interesting. Yeah. Apple plans to introduce a new security mode for iPhones that can protect users when thieves or other attackers learn their private password. The feature is called Stolen Device Protection. It'll determine whether the phone is at a location that is not usually associated with its owner and require facial ID recognition in addition to a passcode for users to perform sensitive actions. That would include viewing stored passwords or wiping the phone. It'll also require a one-hour delay to change an Apple ID password or remove Face ID. Now, the security feature is meant to address a specific scam in which an attacker obtains a passcode by spying or befriending a victim at a bar, then steals the phone and uses the password to turn off theft protections. The new feature will require users to opt in and be included in a software update set to be released to the public in the coming weeks. And of course, I'm sure it'll also raise other questions about whether, you know, Apple not knows where you are, but they're going to be basically telling you, well, the phone is in a place that it shouldn't be. I don't and what does that, that really like, mean? Because with the Find My Phone, you know, if I, if we have other devices yes. connected to so, things. And sometimes if you probably one, leave one, anyway. it, it tells you that something's yeah. been missing. Or, that right. you, or the it, last, it was last, the last seen, seen at, at this location. Right, I have my headphones, my, my, um, my Your, AirPods. AirPods. It's constantly yeah. telling me that the AirPods are you need sometimes not with me, <laughs> even though the AirPods are with me. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't always too. work perfectly, but it is kind of a safety right. check, and I appreciate it. I don't Have you had the AirTag track you? That's not your AirTag yet. No. That, that's interesting. When you get told that there's an AirTag that's following you, that's not that's not. How your. does that happen? Because somebody sticks it on you? Well, th- th- that's the worry right now, that somebody would stick it on you. In our case, uh, one of my son's friends apparently had an AirTag in his bag, and we drove for a couple hours, and he was with wow. us. So then the phone said, there's an AirTag. Follow and I you. thought, who's got the air tag? And then I realized that. I kind of like yeah. that. So. I, I, I kind of like that. Because if you're going to release these things that could be used against you, you should have the countermeasures. Cheese will be next. Up next, special guest Ken Langone, the Home Depot co-founder and outspoken billionaire on politics, investing, and where he sees risk. You just said you're anxious about China. Yeah, how can you feel good about a country or an investment in a country where your country is posturing itself and they're posturing themselves only for trouble? Squawk Pod will be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor.
Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Pods right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick. Joe is off today. Let's get you up to date with some of uh, today's top business stories. Pfizer shares, they are sinking. They just updated their 24 guidance for the drug giant. Fell below a Wall Street expectation. So look at that stock uh, off close to 7% right now. This uh, even as Pfizer raised its cost-cutting target by half a billion dollars. Less demand for Pfizer's COVID vaccines and its Paxlovid antiviral, a big culprit in this guidance cut. CNBC Health and Pharmaceuticals reporter Angelica Peebles joins us right now. She's got more on that. Angelica, what do you see when you look through the, the guidance and the numbers that they're issuing? Good morning, Becky. Once again, the COVID vaccines and the antiviral pill that Pfizer makes is really the cause here of this um, this weaker than expected guidance. That is a big hit for a stock that has not looked pretty um, all year. You're looking right now at uh, a decline of about six and a half percent. For three months, it's down 21 percent. But if you go back further, it's a drop of almost 50 percent at this point for the year to date. Yeah, and they just really can't move past this COVID story. And as much as they're trying, you know, it's just this is the narrative right now. They're trying to get investors to focus on the Siege and acquisition, as well as some other new products that they have launching um, or that they've already you know, started bringing to market. But this just remains the story. And so we'll have to see what they say today um, about other products and what they're seeing there. But again, it's all about COVID right now. Angelica, thank you. All right, let's get right to our special guest. Ken Langone, of course, is Invimit Associates chairman, the co-founder of Home Depot, and the chairman of the NYU Langone Health Board. Um, Ken, let's maybe start even with Pfizer, with what we just heard, because you and I have talked about Pfizer in the past. The COVID vaccines that they created were so revolutionary at the time and really freed people up and made yeah. them feel like they could go back out. But now it's really costing the company. Well, because there's a big hole to fill. You know, we haven't got the crisis we had. We haven't got the demand we, that they had then. On the other hand, you know, Pfizer is an amalgamation of a lot of drug companies. Think of who's in there. Upjohn, Pharmacia, Warner Lambert. Uh, there's about seven or eight of them in there. And, and frankly, I think they never really got their arms around consolidation at levels like research, for example. You know, there's so much redundancy there, and, and I'm not throwing a rock at anybody, but I look at what John Lecklider did at Eli Lilly and look at the results. And what he did was to simply say, we're not cutting back on R&D, but we're going to focus and we're going to make sure that we get more bang for the buck than possible. Right. And they did it. Uh, I feel bad for 20 years ago, Pfizer was presumed to be the company in the healthcare industry. Uh, and, and we have a wonderful relationship with Bill Steer. Bill Steer was a chairman. When he ran it, it was spectacular. Bill has, was on the NYU Langone board, and he's been incredibly generous to us. But it, there was a focus. And I think, you know, these handoffs, these management handoffs are tricky. And, and there were a couple of handoffs at Pfizer that, frankly, didn't work. 
Now, I, I'm bragging. Look at, look at the companies that I'm involved with and the handoffs and how they've gone. Most recent one is, is Parker Hannafin, Jenny Palmentier. Mm -hmm. Seamless. From Don, Tom Williams to her. Uh, uh, Craig Manier to Ted Decker at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. uh, John Lechleiter to David Ricks at Lilly. Now, the irony of it is, it was pretty much no surprise. The irony is, look at the robust succession plan that GE had when Jack was there, and it blew up. So that, that transition, that handoff, is very, very critical. How, how much of this, though, is a, a transition handoff with Albert Borla, or how much of it is just he was chasing COVID and moving things at such an incredible pace? to focus on the COVID vaccines that maybe there wasn't time to focus on the rest. Look, I think their R&D budget is something like eight or nine billion dollars. I don't know exactly, but you got plenty of room to do a lot of things in here besides one thing. So, and believe me, I'm not gonna throw a rock at the guy because running a drug company is a very complicated, challenging thing. But I, I look, I, I'm back to Lilly again. I, by the way, and mind you, Nothing's cheap until I own it, so I'm pitching. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. But anyway, I think Lilly will be the first trillion-dollar drug company in history. Why? The pipeline. And God bless John Lechleiter. In the dark years when they were, everything was falling off the cliff, he was firm in his commitment to spending the money on R&D and, and protecting the dividend. We didn't get any increases in the dividend. Right. Now, that's been made up. We've had, I think, five years of 15% increases. But John put the horses in place, and they got a team out there with David Ricks and, and, and uh, Dan Skabronsky, who runs research, and I guess he's got all strategy now. It's all about the people. I don't know, I don't know how you address Pfizer's problems now, because it's, it's, it's huge. It's spread right. out. It's Eli Lilly, you've, you've, you've been... That was your top pick. I'm just looking back in 2015. How, how long have you been in Lilly? I sold a little device. The first device company they ever bought, IVAC. Mm -hmm. uh, we sold that to Lilly. We closed November 30th, 1977. <laughs> so I've owned the stock for almost 46 years. There were two crises in the company's history. One, they had a drug called Oriflex that nine people died from, not because it was a bad drug, but rather because... Uh, doctors misprescribed it. And the other time was when they bought the pharmacy benefit management company. And that was not one of their most brilliant moves, but the stock was down 17% in one day and I happened to have a few bucks in my pocket. So we bought more. So uh, from 2002 to 2018, Eli Lilly's stock did nothing, absolutely nothing. Counting that going back 46 years, the 46 years I've owned it, Counting the dividends, it's compounded at 14.8% a year. Okay? I got a better one than that, though. Since September of 1981, what's the number one performing stock in the S&P 500? And the answer is? E uh, Home Depot. I was going to guess Home Depot. 28% <laughs> a year compounded for all those years. It's unbelievable. I'd rather be lucky than right. smart. Believe me, anybody out there, I'm lucky. I'm not smart. How often do you trade, by the way? When you said, like, the price had come down and you were like, I'm gonna, I had some extra I, bucks in my pocket. Are I, you sitting around nope. looking at... No. First of all, I call a drug mother and say, what should I do? And he tells me what I should do. <laughs> and that's another... There's another example. 
his genius is he's never had a losing year. You know, when you don't give any back, because if you give it back, you've got to make that back, right. back where you were. That, that's one of Stanley's, no, but seriously, uh, uh, I add, based on people I know, when Dave Cody got involved in Vertiv, we bought a lot of that. We did very well with that. When, uh, when Jim Kelts got involved with Simply Good Foods, again, it's, to me, it's simple. It's always about the people. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, I've added some recently, but they're minor positions. But, to what? Um, well, I, we've got one called um, uh, uh, Talus Med T A L. T-A-L-U-S, is that the one? No, it, it was just done. Hold on. He's got a drop in a kit. Procept, Procept Biorobotics. That's mm -hmm. a new one for us. Uh, uh, here it is. It's T-L-S-I, Trisalis Life Sciences. Okay. That was a, a SPAC that blew right. up, and we, we, I, we ended up buying a lot of the warrants. But we don't sell. I mean, I got Yum Yet, I've got Yum China. I'm a little nervous about that because of what's going on with China, but, but uh, David Gibbs is spectacular. Right. A good handoff again, right. you know. Speak to that though, you just said you're, you're anxious about China. Yeah, how can you feel good about a country or an investment in a country where your country is posturing itself and they're posturing themselves only for trouble? And, you know, and why the hell are we raising an issue about leave, leave Taiwan alone? So I mean, what would you do then? I, I don't think China wants to go to war with us. They got a billion, 300 million people to feed. Right. They got some stress in the system now, real estate. I mean, they got enough on their plate without taking us on. And we've got enough on our plate without taking them on. The tragedy is the lack of leadership in America. Both parties, by the way. You know, there's enough blame to go around for everybody. Both parties. You look at this, this childish behavior regarding a Speaker of the House. I mean, that's like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. So, and I'm a Republican, by the way. So you heard me I take know. a shot at my people. I right? know. Okay. But, but seriously, um, I don't invest overseas most of the time. I got, I got into China by virtue of being a young investor. And we had a great, from David Novak to... Uh, uh, Good guy. He's, he's retired to Texas, and now David Gibbs. Oh, a great creed. Yeah. I mean, these these were brilliant choices, and they all did very well. And the same is true. I mean, you look at Depot from Frank Blake to Craig Manier, now to Ted Decker. And by the way, I think Depot is setting itself up for a glorious five or ten years with a pro business, big time, big because time. Because. I mean, that's the big well, difference between... Well, first of all, they're, recog they're recognizing that when you deal with a pro, a big pro, yeah. a Lenar or somebody like that, you've got to have systems that accommodate that pro's, that customer's particular peculiarity, so to speak. So when you do that, you've got to spend some money. And I, I marvel at how... And by the way, Home Depot has spent, uh, I think, 12 or $13 billion over a few years for the infrastructure. Right. Uh, for example, something as simple as a flatbed truck. When you're delivering 15 pallet loads of plywood, you don't put it in a van, you put it on a flatbed truck right. with, a, with, a, with a hoist. I mean, these are all the things you have to do. And, and um, by, by the way, I got a new gig. You won't believe it. What? I opened a restaurant. No way. 
Where? Up I here went, in I went in, po- in Florida. The kid that runs Gallagher Steakhouse here in Manhattan. Yeah. Have you ever been in there? I have, yeah. Fabulous. Great operator. I was buying real estate in Florida, and he wanted to open a restaurant. So we went into a partnership, and we opened one on Glaze Road and I-95, and it's flying. We opened it at Gallagher Steakhouse, and I'm having more damn fun with it. As Elaine said, she said, he spends more time on calling Dean every day and what the numbers are. (laughs) Ken Langone is going to be with us throughout the rest of the show. We've got a lot more to talk about with him, and we will continue this conversation in just a moment. Stay tuned. In our next conversation, we bring in former SEC chair and UPenn professor Jay Clayton. We're getting into the debate shaking up college campuses. Is the tenure process a good process when 90% of the people are of one political party? Right. If you have a, a disparate result like that in almost any other aspect of society, people will be saying, what went wrong? And we'll discuss the continuing backlash from the Harvard, UPenn, and MIT president's testimonies on Capitol Hill. Ken Langone, should Claudine Gay keep her job? No. No, no, absolutely not. We'll be right back. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. We are going to talk about the ongoing fallout from remarks made by the three university presidents in Congress last week. The heads of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania were all heavily criticized for uh, what some people described as sterile and lawyerly answers. I would describe it as worse, but uh, when asked if calling for the genocide of Jews violates their school's code of conduct. In the backlash, UPenn's president, of course, resigned. We heard about that, but yesterday's Harvard leaders affirming support for the university's president, Claudine Gay, joins us right now to talk about the path forward for these schools and others. We're going to put this in the sort of governance category. Uh, we've got S- former SEC chairman, CBC contributor, Jake Clayton, and we've had a lot of conversations about this. Of course, Ken Langone uh, hanging out with us. I'm so curious what both of you uh, thought of what took place over the weekend on the Penn side and also what happened yesterday on the Harvard side. So, look, let's, let's, um, let's talk about going forward here because we've, we've obviously had um, governance change at Penn or at least leadership change. Um, but are we going to have change on campus? And, and, look, I think Liz McGill, no one thinks Liz McGill is an anti-Semite. Everybody thinks Liz McGill is a fantastic scholar. But she wasn't hired to be an agent of change. She wasn't hired to be an agent of self-reflection. Universities need self-reflection and change. We still have, the anti-Semitism problem hasn't changed. Right. The preferred speech problem hasn't changed. The, you know, what I, w- what I would say is the isolation problem hasn't changed. In fact, we've, we've seen it in some of the press reports where faculty are saying, you know, who are these trustees to raise their voice and say, hey, you know, there's a problem on your campus. You need to do something about it. Well, I'll tell you who the trustees are. They're the people with a fiduciary duty. They're the people who have, who have the responsibility to right. look at whether the university is delivering on its mission. And I think we all know that they're not doing a good job. Ken Langone, should Claudine Gay keep her job? No. No. No, absolutely not. She especially. She should be most sensitive by virtue of her race and 
the history there. I don't think, I think when somebody says something as horrible as what was said, I would say, you're out, sue me, I'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court, I may lose, but you're going to go through a lot of anguish and I'm going to let the world know we won't tolerate that kind of thinking and that kind of behavior. And by the way, Jay, too many trustees are afraid of not being a trustee. The dynamics of being a trustee, the most important thing for a board member or a trustee to be, not be afraid of being fired. Call them as you see them and do the right thing. There's too much of this recognition of status by putting somebody on the Harvard board or the Bucknell board or, or the right. Penn board. They failed. They You've got some there. experience with this, Ken, at Bucknell. You got involved. Oh, I got involved. What, what's it called? The Open Discourse Coalition. Open Discourse Coalition. I went, and by the way, our president there is fabulous. Mm -hmm. I went to them and I said I was very concerned about the kids here in one side of issues. And I wanted us to, con uh, there's a fellow by the name of Robbie George at Princeton. He did it there. Charlie Johnson invited me to a lunch with him. I heard it and I said, this is what we ought to do. I went to John Brobman. I said, John, this is something we got to do. Let the kids hear both sides of the argument. Let them make up their own mind, but let them hear both sides. He was for it. There was pushback from the trust, from the faculty, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. They didn't do it. We set it up independent. It's thriving. It's, right. In fact, now we're, John and I are working on how do we integrate it into Bucknell because it is doing well. No, and it's, and it's so important. I've taught at Penn for over 10 years. Right. I can tell you that the students are not ready. They're, they self-censor in the first few days of class. In the first, I'd say the first five or six days of class, right. you can't discuss some of these issues because people just pull back. For, for example, I teach financial regulation. Right. Financial regulation question is, what about disparate impact? What do we think about that? Is that something that the Fed should worry about? You know, that's a question that if I ask in the first two, three classes, crickets. No one really wants to discuss it. Because, you know, you have to- What do you mean? Because People, people are afraid that something they say may result in them being canceled. Probing a question about you know, how, well, much so we, how much we take race and other right. factors into account in setting financial policy is a sensitive issue in a college so, classroom so until, you, until you get there, until you so get let, people to open up. Let me, let me ask you a question. And I think it's actually a very complicated question with not a straightforward answer, but I'll ask it. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think we'd all agree that uh, genocide to Jews as a comment is abhorrent, mm -hmm. okay? And, and should not be something that would be allowed on the campus policy, at least in my campus policy. Right, okay. right. At the same time, <clears throat> part of the argument that I think you're making and that has been made is that there is this cancel culture based on what you say. Yes. Okay, and you, now you see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. So the question is, are we asking for uh, language that we like, that I might like, but maybe not other language that I don't like, or are we saying, it, I mean, should, are we saying it should be a free speech, whatever you want situation on campus, which then uh, unfortunately might allow some of the support uh, conversation, or should it be a, um, a more restricted speech but it might, it might include what I just said that is important, but it might also include something that you may not think is let me, appropriate. Let me, let me, let me you see give, what I'm saying? Yeah, let me give you a straight answer. Choose one or the other. If well, no, if, it's no, hard no, to, but it's hard to no, choose. No, 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 but you either choose that you're going to have very, almost a First Amendment, you know, limitations only, where you can have terrible speech, you can have things that offend people, or if you're going, if you're going to choose 
to rein that in, do it consistently. But what, what college campuses are doing, and you saw it in the testimony, is when convenient, they say, well, the First Amendment oh, doesn't allow me to I, censor that. I agree with and you. Then, and then, but you I'm know, saying, we're, which we're is the better, I'm asking you, I guess, which campus? is the better choice? Which is the better choice? I, Let me tell you what, I, I'm, I'm bothered because we want to make this thing as simple as to be for people to understand. And a lot of these arguments, these academic arguments, confuse people. One of the things that's happening on campuses is what I call academic coercion. A kid sent a draft, he had to write a term paper, a friend of mine's son went to Bucknell, sent the paper home for his father to read, what do you think? And his father said, I read it, but you don't think this way, what do you, what, he said, I need to get an A in the course, and I'm yeah. sure this will please, it's, it's flagrant. And that's, and, that's, and that's such a shame. It's paralyzing you're, academic you're, thought. Right. You're, you're, you're saying what you don't believe exactly because you right. need to to get along. That's the whole point. That's, that's the whole thing, Jay. And I'm sorry. I think we have to disregard the constitutional rights of free speech on issues. How could anybody say anything so horrible right. as from, from the sea to the river, whatever the hell it is, Yep. We know what that means. It means get the Jews out of there. So, so getting back to, to, to where you were, you know, take the First Amendment and then bring in this, this speech that we, we know is abhorrent. And you know what? We can identify it. We, we, we know when people call for the river to the sea or they call for right. genocide. Right. There's no place for that. But there certainly is a place to discuss many of the issues that people on campus are afraid to discuss. Right. Exactly right. And, and that's something, if you're going to have academic, academic effort, it should be wide open. What is your sense, but I think there's also a political overtone to this, which is that we think that some of the uh, sort of thought police that's mm -hmm. in, in these classes going to the paper issue right. that you're talking right. about have moved in a, a sort of uniquely progressive or liberal way, let's just mm -hmm. suggest. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you think you reverse that? If, if, you, if, you, if you believe that it is tilted, the pendulum is swung, how is that, how do you reverse that? And that's almost generational. And you're, you're, by the way, you have tenured professors. Let me, let me say something. There are about, I guess, 20 million Jews in the world. Think of all the accomplishments of the Jews in science, mm -hmm. in the arts. Go right down the list. It's incredible when you think of only 20 million and all they've done and all they've, the, the, the truly gifted people. <laughs> that may sound like I'm biased, but I am biased because, thank God, most of my doctors are Jewish, and I can tell you right now, they take care of me like a baby, and I'm 88, and I'm still going. So at least as a, but the point I'm making is they've done so much for civilization. Right. That should be the best reason of all, nothing yeah. more. And, and, and Andrew, to your question, look, it's, it, you have to start somewhere. It starts with self-reflection. Is it, is it a good process? Is, is the tenure process a good process when 90% of the people are of one political party? Right. I, you know, well, if you have a, a disparate result like that in almost any other aspect of society, people will be saying, what, what went wrong? And unfortunately, I think on college campuses, they're saying, look at all what went right. That's, that's a right. pretty scary place to be. And, a, and an almost intractable problem. Um, Jay, we want to thank you. Ken, we want to thank you for what you're doing. Thank you thank for you. coming in today. Great, Great to see you, sir. It's been a very happy, happy holidays. pleasure. Okay. Happy holidays. Uh, folks, that does it for us today. Make sure you join us right back here tomorrow. 
And that's Squawk Pod for today. This Wednesday, hump day, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.